welcome back. I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. Sponsorship of the show comes from Shearwater Sailing, a sailing charter business run out of Monterey by Kevin Wasbauer. Kevin's flagship vessel is Atalanta, a beautiful, comfortable, fully equipped, and very fast FAR 53. And at the end of January, on the 28th and 29th, Kevin will be sailing Atalanta from Monterey up here to San Francisco. Perhaps this trip would make a nice gift for a sailor in your life, or maybe you want to treat yourself to an offshore adventure during what can be a beautiful time of year to sail the California coast. You can find more info and contact Kevin at shearwatersailing.net. That's shearwatersailing.net. Having sailed with Kevin, I highly recommend the experience. Okay, this week's show, I'm talking to Andy Cross. Andy grew up day sailing and cruising with his family in Michigan. He made his first offshore passage at 19, and he's been working in the sailing industry ever since, teaching, doing deliveries, writing, and more. Andy and his wife, Jill, bought a Grand Soleil 39 in the Pacific Northwest. And not long after that, they threw off the lines to live aboard full-time, raising two boys aboard the boat. They've sailed her far and wide, up and down the Pacific coast, and then through the Panama Canal, and now further afield. Andy also writes for Good Old Boat Magazine and 48 Degrees North, so he and I talked about cruising with kids, exploring Alaska and the Pacific Northwest, transiting the Panama Canal, and the long passage that brought them to San Francisco, among many other things. For some reason, my audio in this interview, which we recorded back in June, is pretty poor. But fortunately, Andy does most of the talking, so let's jump in. Yeah, uh, my name's Andy Cross. I'm a sailor. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. I work for Good Old Boat Sailing Magazine and also 48 North Sailing Magazine and do some other freelance stuff and a little bit of sailing instruction on the side. And I have two boys uh, who are seven and nine. Um, My wife and I bought our 1984 Grand Soleil 39 uh, in Seattle in 2012 and named it Yahtzee. And we lived aboard for a couple of years there in Seattle and then started cruising. Yahtzee, was that one of your favorite games with your wife? What's what's the significance of the name? Yeah, actually, Yahtzee uh, does have some significance. I used to play it a lot with my great grandmother when I was a kid. And then Jill and I played it. We were actually in the right before buying Yahtzee, we were in the Peace Corps in Ethiopia. And it was one of the games that we brought with us because it was small. And so we played we played Yahtzee a lot when we were in Ethiopia and then when we bought Yahtzee, uh, we were at a bar in Seattle celebrating, trying to decide on a name. And the bar had a bunch of games that you could just take to your table and play. And so naturally, we were playing Yahtzee at the bar and talking about boat names. And Jill's like, hey, let's just name it Yahtzee. And I'm like, done. That's it. I love it. Oh, that's great. And she's, you mentioned she's a, a Grand Soleil 49, you said? Uh, 39. 39, sorry. Grand Soleil 39, I just, uh, just bumped your boat up by 10 feet there. 
<laughs> um, Some days I want to too. Especially <laughs> the boys get older. So how did you get into sailing, Andy? Was this always a dream of yours to, to go off cruising? Well, so I started sailing as a kid in uh, Michigan. My great-grandparents, my parents, my, and my grandparents, um, our whole family uh, had a little a summer place in Michigan, and we go and spend the summers um, sailing. And, and so I grew up just sailing dinghies and racing. Whereabouts, I asked, because I, I, I learned to sail in Michigan. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Pentwater, Michigan, which is just south of Ludington, about 15 miles, and north of Muskegon, about 45 miles. Okay. Um, and so we, we grew up sailing on a little inland lake that feeds onto Lake Michigan. That's where our house is. My parents lived there. As I got older and older, my dad got bigger boats. So we got a, we, I got a Hunter 23, little keel boat. And then now he has a Hunter 39. So I just learned to sail and race and loved it. And, and then when I was in college, I went to, I went to the University of Oregon. And uh, that first year of college, I didn't want to just stick around that summer and get a job around Eugene. So I... Um, had this idea that I would go fly and, and find a, a job on a sailboat. And I did that. I, I flew to Fort Lauderdale and I ended up getting on a boat with this, with a German couple and sailing nonstop to Newport, Rhode Island. Wow. And so I ended up in Newport and I'd never been there before. And I was, you know, I, that was the first ocean passage I had ever done. And it was kind of like really eye opening for me of just like, whoa, this is really you know, amazing ocean sailing and you know, you know, having grown up on the Great Lakes. So I ended up in Newport and I, that delivery job ended and I had to find another job. And I just walked the docks again and found jobs working on sailboats and sanding and varnishing and you know, sailing in the afternoons and evenings. And I loved it so much that I came back the next summer and worked on sailboats again. And that was kind of like where the whole dream like launched was those two summers of, you know, I love sailing and then I could actually make a career out of doing it. Yeah, and I just, it just kind of went from there. And when you met your wife, was she a sailor? No, she wasn't. So I met her at University of Oregon. She was not a sailor, but uh, she was also in the summers spending um, time back on the East Coast. So she met me in, in Newport that second summer. I took her sailing, and I think it was, it was one of those moments. She's like, whoa, that, this is, I can see why you like this so much. <laughs> uh, and then we ended up moving to Florida, and I worked... Uh, and I finished school in Florida. She got her master's there and I ended up working for a sailing school, off, uh, offshore sailing school. And um, she started taking classes there at offshore and helping me with do some flotillas in the Caribbean. So we got, uh -huh. to, sail, we got to sail on a bunch of other, um, other people's boats. Basically, we kind of learned what we, what we like in a boat, what we wouldn't like in a boat. Uh, yeah, so we had, a, we had a great time sailing around Florida and the, and the Caribbean. And as, like, as we did that, it was like, okay, Let's, um, we could really go cruising. We could do it. That idea of going cruising was there even before you had kids? Yeah, definitely. So it was one of those things where while we were living in Florida, we looked at some boats and talked about cruising, but then like, no, none of the boats were right. The time didn't seem right. And then we decided to do the Peace Corps thing, which ended up being kind of a pause in the sailing stuff because we were in Ethiopia, obviously. But then when we came back, we were like, we could move anywhere we wanted. So we just happened to choose uh, Seattle. Part of the reason was there was sailing. The other part of the reason was we knew we wanted to potentially cruise up to Alaska. And so it's like, okay, we, we moved to Seattle. And then within six months, we bought Yahtzee. And that was, that's where we started. You were right there in Shulshul, right? Yeah, we were at Shulshul for two years. It was the type of thing where, you know, we were working during the week and then we'd get 
have time on the weekends and we'd race in local races and then we'd uh, you know we'd be, go out cruising because there's some great cruising around Puget Sound that's really close to oh, shore. yeah and so but every time we go out on the weekends we have this like, oh we just don't want to come but we could just we want to stay out we want to stay out longer and longer and I started doing the magazine writing thing more and more and we had our one son and then our second it's like well if we just don't have a slip and I'm working from home we're that's one less bill to pay so we sold our car and left Shulshul and kind of with the idea that we'll just try it and see how this works out and see if we can make it work. And uh, that was, you know, eight years ago, I guess now. So it's, it's worked well. <laughs> it's wonderful that the cruising ground was right there at your doorstep and you were able to try it in that way. I mean, I think that's not necessarily the case for so many people. You just could just take off and go for a while and still be close to home and see how you liked it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was really ideal. I mean, we were experienced sailors, so it was easy to just get the boat underway and, and get, you know, go anchor somewhere and come back. And so there wasn't really a learning curve besides, you know, learning the local waters. From Shulshul, it was great. I mean, you go across the sound in six, ten, you know, six, eight, ten miles, and you're in a anchorage. You go south, you're in a different anchorage. You go north, you're in a different anchorage. And so we just kind of cut our teeth and... Uh, you know, in that way. And it was a lot of fun. It was really rewarding too. because we met a lot of great people and kind of some amazing anchorages and little towns around Puget Sound. And when did you decide to head off a little further afield? And what was it that inspired you to do that? My wife was born and raised in Alaska, in Fairbanks, Alaska, but never really explored the coastal parts of the state. And so when we moved to Seattle and we bought the boat, it was like the goal was to get to Alaska, you know, get to her home state and be able to cruise as much as we could. But before we went to Alaska, we didn't want to miss everything in between. It was spending some summers in Puget Sound and then in the San Juan Islands and in the Gulf Islands in British Columbia. And then we actually went down to Portland and went up the Columbia River all the way to Portland and back and did the offshore race back to Victoria. And then we went around Vancouver Island and we went up into BC and came back. And then it was finally like, okay, We've, we've done a bunch. We've seen a lot of BC. Now it's time to, to go for the Alaska goal. And that was in 2017 when we sailed up to Alaska. We, we actually did a kind of an un, unconventional route. We sailed outside of Vancouver Island on the west coast of Vancouver Island up to Haida Gwaii and then hopped to Alaska from there. Typically people go up the inside passage uh, that way. So it was, it was a really memorable month or six weeks going up to even get to Alaska. That's interesting. Why did you choose to go out like that? Well, because the summer before that, we had cruised around Vancouver Island counterclockwise. And our favorite part of that cruise of that summer was the outside of Vancouver Island, just how uh, wild it was out there. And just in, it was just an amazing place. And there were some places there that we didn't get to spend a lot of time in. And so we wanted to kind of hit it again on our way up. You're the second person I've talked to in, in the last couple of weeks who's talking about the, the West Coast there of Vancouver Island. It's a place that I would just love to, to cruise at some point. That's very cool. How, how long in all did you stay in Alaska? I know you actually went and, and you stayed for quite some time. Well, the plan, in quotes, the plan uh, was to just spend the summer of 2017 cruising Southeast Alaska, then sailing south. But we got up there and we were going through Southeast and we said, this is amazing. Uh, we we're just having an incredible time. And we thought, okay, let's sail and see more of Alaska. So we sailed from Sitka 
like 500 miles straight across the Gulf of Alaska to Kodiak. And this is the middle of the summer, so it's July. And we explored Kodiak. And then we went up to near Seward and Kenai Peninsula and then to Prince William Sound. While we were doing that, we were just like, man, this Alaska is so amazing. If we could spend, if we could do another summer or two, that'd be great, but you got to spend the winter then. So Jill applied for a job in Seward while we were there because we kind of, we just kind of fell in love with the town when we were passing through. And while we were in, in Prince William Sound, they called her and they wanted to do, they wanted to interview her. And so like, wow, sure. Okay. So we, we jetted back to Seward, a couple days sail, like, and then a night and we got back to Seward and we anchored right near Seward and we were having a fire, remember a beach fire and we're like, okay, tomorrow more, tomorrow you're going to have this interview depend on how it goes we're either going to take the job and we're going to stay in Seward or we're going to go to Safeway load the boat with food and sail to San Francisco <laughs> that was like that was literally that was literally the two options like we're sitting on a beach and it's because it was August at this point if we were going to make a move south with the way the weather windows work that far north it's like you got to get going she got the job and we decided to stay and really really loved Seward fell in love with it made a bunch of great friends we did a lot of work to the boat while we were in Seward, which was really great because the boat, it needed it after, at that point, we'd been living aboard for five years, kind of nonstop. And so we took everything out of the boat and really did a lot of woodwork, interior woodwork to it. You moved it, to shore. So we rented a cabin for two winters. Then we lived on the boat in the summers. Yeah, it just turned out to be a really great stop for us. But then it was finally like, okay, we had, you know, time, we had did two winters there and Jill had worked and we kind of built up the cruising kitty again and it's like all right let's now it's time to go to San Francisco so we finally did it that was 2019. I was just reading your blog post of your passage 10-day passage from Seward to San Francisco or was it did you jump off from Seward or did you? No so we kind of retraced our steps we left Seward and then explored the Kenai Peninsula for two weeks and then went back down to Kodiak and then sailed back across the Gulf of Alaska to Southeast to the Sitka area. And we cruised around there for a bit. And then we ended up in Craig, Alaska, which is on Prince of Wales Island. And that's where it was, it was the middle of August. And that was, okay, now it's time to start looking for weather windows to make the big hop. We actually wanted to stop on the West coast of Vancouver Island again, was our goal, but there was no, there's no place to check in on the west coast of Vancouver Island anymore. You have to go into Prince Rupert, which takes, you have to go all the way in Dixon entrance and you have to come back out. We don't really want to do that. And so we just said, all right, we'll just sail straight to San Francisco. And we did. <laughs> 1300 miles and nine nights, 10 days. You picked a good weather window, but you kind of scraped along the edge of a, of a low, I understand. Yeah, we, so we had a really good weather window, you know, forecast that we, we knew we would get past um, Vancouver Island. And then there was the chance of this kind of low off of the Washington, Oregon coast that did end up materializing. And we just were kind of on the edge of it for about 24 hours. It was one of those things where you could kind of see it coming. You could, you could tell the weather was changing. And then we just, we kind of decided to tack and kind of go into it just to get through it faster. And that, that actually helped, that worked. It got up to, winds were in the 40s, the seas were pretty big. Not, not survival sailing. I mean, I, we'd been in that much wind before, but it was kind of just, you know, keep the boat moving, keep everyone comfortable. And then once it passes, it passes and keep going. Well, another aspect I want to talk about is that you were doing this passage and all this sailing with your two sons, right? Yes, yeah. 
how old were they when you started cruising? Porter, our oldest, who's nine now, he was born in Seattle and you know, moved on the boat when he was hours old. So then he, he was you know, not even one when we left Shilshul. Wow. And Bill was pregnant with Magnus already when we left the dock. We started that first fall kind of cruising and we didn't have a slip and we were just around the San Juan Islands, which is really, was pretty close to Bellingham. And so Jill's midwife was in Bellingham and we'd go back, we'd stop in Bellingham for the appointments and go back out sailing and stop <laughs> and go back out. And so Magnus was literally born while we were cruising. We stopped for three weeks in Bellingham to have him. And then we were, we were back out in the islands and cruising. Wow. Some people will hear that and just say, how is that possible? Yeah, but... I know. It does seem kind of wild <laughs> looking back on it, but we, for us, it was kind of like, oh yeah, we'll just make it work. We just make it work. And having a young child and an infant aboard, talk about some of the ways that that changes sailing or cruising. I give a lot of the credit to my wife, Jill. She's pretty amazing and uh, handling all the, all the little kid stuff. As a, you know, a lot of times I was single, basically I'm single-handed mm-hmm. uh, and, she, and she's uh, helping when she can, but also helping, you know, the kids and doing food stuff and she, you know she did, did a lot you know she's single-handing too she's just not single-handing the boat <laughs> right exactly that's a good way to that's a good way to, to think about it um but we make a really good team you know there's definitely moments where it was it was difficult and kind of like what are we doing but at the end of every day almost it seemed we're like this is way better than the alternative of you know living on shore or living in a marina we were really out and it was like kind of the raw experience of doing it was, it was really incredible. It was life-changing almost, especially to do it in the San Juan Islands and the Gulf Islands where there, there's so many places to anchor. And so we weren't doing big hops mostly. Like we weren't sailing, you know, a lot of miles every day. Sometimes it was just, you know, 10 or 15 miles between anchorages uh, and we'd hang out in one spot for a few days at a time. So we weren't really doing any rigorous passage making or anything, but we were doing a lot of really good cruising. Now your boys are a little older. I jumped back to, to, to your earlier cruising with them because I wanted to ask you a little bit about them on the passage. How old were they when you did the, the passage south from Alaska down to San Francisco? Four and five. Because there's this wonderful short video on your website, which is sailingyachty.com, if anyone wants to go check it out, um, of you guys encountering dolphins and one of the boys is saying i'm i'm freaking out i'm freaking out and just hearing the joy in his voice it was just fabulous yeah that that excitement definitely came through in that video yeah tell me a little bit more about their experience of the passage and their participation as crew members at that point, they had done, I think the longest passage we'd done as a family was four days, five nights, something like that. And so they were pretty used to, you know, definitely used to the routine of it. You know, and we didn't, we tried not to change their, their routines too much when we're on passage. Meals are pretty much the same time. You know, when the weather was calm enough, we would even do schoolwork. Uh, we'd play music and hang out. And when the weather wasn't too bad, I mean, we were all as a family hanging out in the cockpit. I mean, most of the days when we were sailing, it was blue sky and, and nice. It was just really windy. And there was, uh, the sea state was pretty big, but, you know, the boat could handle it and we could handle it. And so we just kind of kept going. But the boys, a lot of times they were in the cockpit hanging out, you know, obviously that 
and life jackets and you know, tethered to the cockpit. Um, but they, they're really resilient and they just kind of roll with it as we went. A little bit of seasickness, I think the first day or two out, uh, but then that passed. I think that they also, they know the times when it's a time to have fun and we're in it and we're sailing. And there's also times when it's like, okay, this is serious. And they, they know when they chill and can just kind of be, while Jill and I are you know, reefing or whatever, they definitely respect what's going on for sure. I'm sure they just have that knowledge. It's interesting because I think about that too. I t talk to my girls all the time and say, yeah, you know, when we're coming into the dock, this is your time to sit down and be quiet and stay out of the way because, you know, it's going to be a little more stressful. That's yeah. interesting. And then there are these glorious pictures of you guys triumphantly sailing into the Golden Gate under the bridge. Tell me a little bit about that experience for you guys as a family. Yeah, you know, real quick, uh, the other thing too with kids is, and uh, we've always felt this, is getting them involved in, in whatever's going on in the boat too. So, you know, whenever we can get them involved, like we did a lot, we practiced a lot, you know, tying knots um, and having them help us with just even little things around the boat while we're on passage was really helpful to like, so that they feel involved and they feel like they're part of the crew too. They're not just along for the ride, that they're actually doing this as we're doing this. And I think that's really important for kids in general, especially on a boat though, is you know, make, making them feel like they're part of the team and not just there. Um, yeah. And so I think that we, we've done a good job of that and uh, when the time is right and when it's appropriate. And uh, there were definitely times on the passage where it was fun to involve them in the, the sailing of the boat and the actual watch keep you know they don't stand there on watch obviously but there's times when they'll be up on watch in the morning or evening just before they they wake up or they go to bed so just involving them in some of those things is really helpful and i wanted to ask about that too i mean there's they're somewhat involved but you're saying they don't they don't stand their own watch or they weren't standing their own watch then did you consider bringing a third crew member i mean you're short shorthanded sailing with just you and your wife and watching the kids Obviously, you felt you could handle it, and you did handle it just fine. But was that a consideration? No, we actually. People actually ask us this, this uh, quite frequently, especially after that passage. We, I think, as a family, had become such a cohesive team, like on the boat, that sometimes throwing another person in for a longer passage like that can kind of disrupt what we do. Or and so I, we never really even considered it. And I think that we worked well, you know, just the the four of us. And I think that just our experience of especially having gone across the Gulf of Alaska, which can be a pretty sporty body of water in itself. And that experience really kind of paved the way for, like we knew what was gonna, the ocean was gonna kind of be like, you know, you can't know everything, but we, we knew as we sailed south, what we were gonna encounter. And I think that with, like having another set of hands like would have been fine, but it's another mouth to feed. And Yeah, and you don't know how that's gonna change the dynamic, which is such an important part, you know, people, People often ask, what's the hardest part of doing a passage like that? And finding the right crew member, the right crew is often the most difficult part. Yeah, and we, you know, having sailed together so much just with us, we just like are really comfortable in our routines and how we handle things. And our boat, you know, we'd, we've set it up in a way where I can do a lot of the stuff myself, but Jill and I really can do everything that we need to do. Besides standing watch, you know, sometimes it's nice to have another pair of eyes to at night or whatever, but it was summer, so it was still, it was pretty light out most of the time, especially in Alaska. So getting back to that arrival in San Francisco. Sailing into San Francisco was kind of a low to high moment. We had had some really, really great sailing. 
for a few days down the coast, just, you know, running with the wind and it was just gorgeous wind and uh, blue sky and just getting warmer and warmer as we were getting south. And then we were probably about a hundred miles off the California coast when we started angling towards San Francisco. And that night the wind just completely died and there was no wind and we're just motoring along, just flat, and it like was just flat calm. And then at five in the morning, we changed watch and I was just getting into my bunk. I felt this, the boat like move, like it was running into a huge wake, like a ship's wake. And Jill screamed, like screamed my name and I ran up in the cockpit and we had hit a whale. It like went down the port side of the boat and made this like noise and, and it spouted and the spout splashed in the cockpit. It smelled really bad. But that was one, and it was just before I was getting light out. And it was just one of those like, whoa, like really intense moments there. The California coast isn't that far off. It's only at that point, it was only 40 or 50 miles. So it's like, oh man, like we're getting of this whole passage, you know, 1300 miles, the last 50 miles we hit a whale. And that morning it was, it, you know, the nerves of that were pretty, it was just a kind of like, whoa moment. Like, wow, that was pretty intense. And then it got light out and there was just whales and sea lions everywhere. And so fortunately we could see them. And we ended up motoring that whole morning towards San Francisco. And then finally we were like four miles out from the bay and you could fog started to break apart and the wind you know, trickled in from behind us. And it all you know, went from you know, zero to five to five to 10 and then it was blowing 15. And now it's like blue sky and we're just running straight in, in through the, the bridge. And it was one of those just amazing moments of sailing. You're just like, wow, you know, so many people talk about this, but to actually be doing it was really pretty wild. You know, around day 10, you know, we hadn't been around any other boats. We'd seen a few ships, but nothing else. So we're sailing in underneath the bridge and all of a sudden there's, you know, it's a beautiful day and nice breeze and there's other boats sailing. There's you know, ferry and tour boats. And then the like world foiling kiteboarding championships was going on. And, <laughs> and we literally like, and so now it's blowing like 20 knots. We're sailing into the bay. We hadn't been around other boats. We've been in Alaska and we've been like, you know, not around really any other boats. So we're sailing into this crazy busy harbor with foil and the kiteboarding foiling championships buzzing by the boat. We're trying to get into the St. Francis Yacht Club, which where the event was being held. And it was just like, whoa, you know, that was almost more intense than hitting a whale. Uh, From zero to a hundred. And then, yeah, yeah. It, was, that, it was pretty, pretty wild that moment. I got a question for you about the whale. That's amazing. I've been on boats that have, have had encounters with whales as well, not quite as, as drastic, but that sound that you mentioned, and you, you mentioned that in the blog post about it too. Um, was that the whale along the hull or was the whale actually making a sound because you'd hit him? Yeah, it was like making an actual sound like, ouch. Oh my I, gosh. <laughs> you just hit me. Um, yeah. It must've been sleeping I, is what I assume. And it just got woken up abruptly. Yeah, that's a rude awakening. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your time in the Bay and what was your impressions? What were your impressions of sailing around San Francisco Bay after being up in the Pacific Northwest and then Alaska? Well, so once we got used to all the people and all the boats and kind of settled in, you know, the St. Francis Yacht Club, they were super gracious and just really nice hosts for the first, I think, four or five days that we were there. We were at, there at the Yacht Club and then we went and anchored in Aquatic Park right by the museum there, which was really nice. And then after that, we kind of started bouncing around the bay 
uh, we went to Oakland and we anchored at, is it Treasure Island there? Mm -hmm. You got Treasure Island, there's a nice little anchorage, mm -hmm. Angel Island. Yeah, Angel Island too. So we went to Berkeley and then we went to Angel Island. And we, we you know, all told we spent a month cruising around. It was really nice because you could kind of, you know, as you know, you set your watch to the breeze almost. In the morning, there's no wind, then it comes up and we would sail from one spot to another. And we uh, went over to Tiburon and, and enjoyed some time at the California Yacht Club and met some really, really great folks. And, and then we also went to Sausalito and then back over to the San Francisco side. And yeah, it was, we, it was just a really chill experience. And it was really nice to, to see so many different parts of the Bay. The boys the other day were talking about where they might want to live if they, if they live on land. And one of them said San Francisco. It was, it, was just a, it was just a really memorable month for all of us. I think it was really, the, the weather was really nice too. It was, you know, like I said, it was breezy every afternoon, but it was warm and lots of blue sky days. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. That's fantastic to hear. I'm glad that they have such good impressions of it. And then after a month here, you, you um, headed out and turned left, huh? Kept going down the coast? We left where we had started. We left from the St. Francis Yacht Club and went and just hopped our way down the coast. So from, we went to Half Moon Bay, which was cool. And, um, and then down, yeah, Santa Cruz, Monterey, Santa Barbara, and then worked our way into Southern California from there. And so that was like a, maybe a month and a half of just exploring more of California. And actually I have to say, um, coming from Alaska, you know, it's remote and there's so few boats and people, we were a little bit before we got to California, I think a little bit wary of like how much we would like it, you know, like would, would it be, you know, something mm -hmm. that we really enjoyed. Uh, and then after leaving California, heading to Mexico, we actually had remarked that we enjoyed California a lot more than we thought we would. It was a really great few months cruising through California. We ended up meeting another family that was two slips over from us in Santa Barbara. And we became really, really good friends with them and ended up cruising more through Southern California. And then at the time we didn't know it, but we'd ended up spending uh, two full cruising seasons with them in Mexico and then on into El Salvador, Nicaragua. So it was like, we made some lifelong friends along the way. That's how it happens, right? And those are the most yeah. amazing memories and friendships. They have two boys as well. They're from Monterey and they just, their boys are slightly older than ours and they just took them under their wing. Like they were little brothers or little cousins and yeah, it was just a really, it was a really great way to kind of be introduced to a lot of California and then to cruise with another family for so long. Did you spend, um, well, I guess I was going to say, did you spend the pandemic like it's over, but um, I guess that most of the restrictions are over. Was that time spent in Mexico? Yes. So we were on our way north. So we were had sailed south in Mexico as far as far as Barn and Navidad. And we were sailing back north to spend the spring and summer in the Sea of Cortez. And so this was March 2020, and we were in Mazatlan. And when everything, like when the world changed, right? And so we were in Mazatlan, we were getting ready to sail you know, north into the Sea of Cortez. And friends, cruising friends who were already there were basically like, don't come here. Like they're starting to lock down everything. Um, the Navy's patrolling um, anchorages. You know, and I know that wasn't everyone's experience, but that did happen up there. And that's what our friends were telling us anyway. We were like, okay, well, let's just go back south. There's a little section of coast in Mexico in between Puerto Vallarta and the Barra Manzanillo area uh, called Chamela. And we ended up basically meeting up with two other cruising boats, some friends of ours kid boats 
in this little section of coast that's about eight miles long by about five miles wide. And there's various islands there. And we literally spent two and a half months, the, the really intense months of COVID in that little area. And there was a little town near there that we'd go to once a week or once every 10 days or so to get provisions. It ended up being a great spot. We really saw very few other boats. No Navy or police boats came to say hi or anything. And we had a little surf spot to surf at and some little islands to anchor off of. So we weren't in one island. We were kind of were able to hop around and keep cruising a little bit, which is nice. So pretty good place to ride things out. Yeah. It ended up, you know, unexpectedly being being very good and having, like I said, there was three boats, uh, kind of three of us together, which was nice to have the camaraderie and like, you know, we're going through this with other people too. So that was nice. Where are you guys now? I understand not that long ago, you transited the Panama Canal. Yeah, so uh, from Mexico, we sailed to um, El Salvador and then Nicaragua. This cruising season, we spent three months in Costa Rica. And then we spent a month and a half on the Pacific side of Panama. And in February, we went through the canal, which was just an incredible experience. And then we spent a couple more months on the Caribbean side of, of Panama and Bocas del Toro and the San Blas Islands. A month ago, we sailed to uh, Cartagena, Colombia, which is where we are right now in uh, Cartagena. And, and that's where we're going to spend hurricane season or where Yahtzee is going to spend hurricane season, at least. And you guys are headed somewhere else? Yeah, so we're going to do uh, right now. We rented a, a condo uh, for a month and we're, we've started doing work to the boat. So you know, another another round of work uh, to for Yahtzee. And, and then we're going to go up to the mountains uh, where it's cooler. We're going up to Medellin and Bogota for, for some time. And then we'll go back to the States to visit family in the fall and then come back to Yahtzee uh, at the end of hurricane season. Oh, how great. For those who haven't transited the canal or haven't done it recently, describe the experience a bit. The experience of it, I would say, is kind of a hurry up and wait process. You have to get your paperwork in order. And then once that's done, you kind of wait. And then you get your boat measured by an official measurer uh, who comes to the boat and literally with a, with a measuring tape measures how long and wide you are. And then they give you a transit date. And at our time in February, it was a two week, uh, a two week wait to get through. So we had to kind of hang out around Panama City, uh, which was fine. We actually really enjoyed Panama City a lot. And so then you, you know, you're waiting longer and then they give you your date and you get ready to go through and you can go through in a day or you can go through in a couple of days. We ended up taking in two days to get through. So we spent one night in Gatun Lake in the middle there. We got going at four in the morning then drove up to the first lock uh, and waited and waited and waited our turn and then went through and so and then got into the lake and had to wait to go out, you know get out into the Caribbean but once we did it was it was just a amazing experience and were you transiting with massive tankers and so there's three locks on the way up and and then three on the way down on the way up into the lake, we were with big uh, tugboats. So the, the tugboats kind of run the whole show. I mean, they're the ones, every ship has to have a certain amount of tugboats there with them. And so we rode up in, through the locks with one other sailboat who was rafted to us and, and then all these tugboats. And then on the way out, we rafted up to a big gunboat 50 catamaran. We had, so there was three sailboats all rafted, or two sailboats rafted to, the, to this gunboat. And then there was a big tanker behind us. And so we shared the lock with this 
huge tanker and we were in front of it. And so you'd you know, look from Yahtzee's stern, you're like looking up at this bow and the anchors, this, <laughs> this huge ship, it was, it was pretty wild. As the, as the water drops, you know, it lowers you down, you're just going down with this ship behind you and then, and then the doors open and there you are, Atlantic. That's very cool. What haven't we talked about that you want to mention? I think cruising, it's becoming more popular, you know, with the, all the YouTube channels and, and, you know, I think in the pandemic, more people are starting to work remotely and uh, wanting to get out there. And I would just say, people always ask, what does it take to get out there and do it? And it's like, well, just really a lot of what it takes, obviously it takes money to be able to make it all work, but it takes a, a certain amount of just like figuring it out and making it work along the way. If you have no sailing experience, you know, getting, getting that sailing experience and what type of boat works for our family, what type of boat works for us, but not getting too much into the details. Like, you know, there's, you can go down a rabbit hole of, you know, making your boat perfect and doing all this stuff, but you can spend a lifetime just in a marina working on your boat and never go anywhere. So it's the type of thing where, you know, your boat needs to be seaworthy. You need to have a certain amount of experience. And then at some point you like, you just got to go, you just got to get off the dock and go do it. Yeah. I think that's great advice, particularly in this day and age when there's so much focus on, well, you got to have this and you got to have that, you know, it could be gear, it could be certifications, it could be all these things that you have to have, but just getting out there. As a, as a sailing instructor, I'm, I always advocate for you know, safety and people doing it and, you know, learning and getting experience, you know, so you're not just going out there with no experience, but I think it's like once you're like, you get to a point where it's, you feel comfortable and taking small steps and getting off the dock and just sailing the boat as much as you can is the biggest thing. Whether it's going out every weekend or going out in the afternoons after or evenings after work, it's like, get out there and sail your boat. That's the only way. I think when I say get out there and, and you proved this, like it doesn't mean get out there and go cross an ocean on your first time away from the dock, right? <laughs> what you guys so beautifully illustrated is there are ways to to figure out if this is something you enjoy how to do it how to do it close to home and then and then go yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and it's the type of thing too where like every day on the water is different and so and every time you come in and out of your slip is slightly different and so the more you do it and even if you're out on the water for an hour or two uh, you're always going to be learning something new as as you're out there and you, you go sailing and and san francisco bay is a perfect place to just get out and go sailing because there's wind and there's places, there's enough places to go where yeah. you can see some cool stuff and you can meet, you know, you can meet other sailors. And, um, but yeah, I think there's this, there's a, a sense that like, if you're not out there, you don't have all the gear and you're not out there like crossing oceans, like you're not really doing it, but I would kind of say the opposite. I think if, if you're out just sailing, you're doing it. I love it. What a perfect note to end on. If you're out there sailing, you're doing it. Right. Hey, Andy, this has really been a pleasure. I want to wish you and the rest of your family all the best as you, you do this next refit and go adventuring in the mountains. And can't wait to, can't wait to follow you guys. It's sailingyahtzee.com, right? If people want to, to yep, follow your adventures. And I do, a lot of, you know, I do a lot of writing for other places too. So especially Good Old Boat Magazine and, and 48 North. So uh, I, I spread the writing around, you know, spread the stories around quite a bit. Excellent. All fabulous publications. I love Good Old Boat. It was the former Good Old Boat editor who recommended we talk to you. So 
I'm glad he did. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. As always, I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Thanks for listening. You can reach me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or via email at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. Until next time, smooth sailing.